The rule of three states, things that come in threes are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate, available only on the next generation GMC Sierra SLT, AT4, and Denali models, to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing. Go professional grade. Step up to GMC and get 20% below MSRP on next generation 2019 GMC Sierra Double Cab and SLE Crew Cab models with a traditional tailgate. We are professional grade. GMC. Offer includes price reduction below MSRP and purchase allowance. Not available with special financing lease and some other offers. Take retail delivery by 9319. See participating dealer for details. Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. All right, joining me here on the tour, Coach, uh, for the first time, somebody that I've seen quite a bit out there. I'm sure we both probably would like to be home a little more than we are, but uh, now, actually, we have the opportunity to be home a bunch, whether that's good or not. From just down the road from where I spent some time at Frederica down at the Sea Island Performance Center, Justin Parsons. Justin, what's up? Thanks for sitting in here. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Yeah, it was good. We. It was good to spend a little bit of time with you at the players, and uh, looking forward to our chat today. Absolutely. It's uh you know, we got to sit down and have that beer we've been saying we've been going to have uh, for a while. And of course, when we sat down at the uh, at that bar there at uh, the Hilton Garden Inn, I don't think either of us thought that we'd probably seen most all the golf we were going to see for quite some time. Well, so that was good. I mean, it's an incredible time, and you know, uh, you know, I was expecting to be driving up and down the road all weekend, and, and <laughs> probably to be in Tampa this week, but. Uh, here we go. We just got to play with the cards we're dealt and try and stay safe and listen to the advice. So we're uh, we're hanging in here in, in Sea Island. I hope you're doing the same in Alabama. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, before we get into some of the other teaching stuff, I kind of wanted to say, you know, so the first thing I did was, you know, when obviously it became obvious that we're not going to play much golf for a little while. You know, as I texted each yeah. one of my guys and I said, like, uh, you know, I think the way to look at this, if you're trying to look at it from a positive is this gives you the chance to, one, rest, and two, get a rare, longer off-season than we get in in golf at any point now, and a chance to actually use it for your benefit so that when the bell rings, and whether it's in a month or it's two months or whatever it is, you know, we're, we're ready to go and that you're ready to go and that you're in better shape and that your game feels good and tried to turn it into a positive, kind of curious how did you framework it? I know you you're so close with your guys and 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 the approach that you take. How did you frame it to them to keep things in a positive light? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we just like we talked about. You know, there's there's so many guys with different different stages in their careers, and you know, some of the guys that are that are married and they've got families. You know, I've encouraged them to take a little bit of time because you know time is a very very important asset, as you and I both know. And you know, a lot of these fellas are maybe in their Seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth season on the PGA Tour. It's uh, it seems like a very glamorous um, life, and, and in many ways they're very privileged to be doing something they love. But at the same time, it's 
it's a hard old life out there. They're traveling to different places and they, they you know, they have an opportunity now to have a little bit of a, a rest. And, and for those, you know, for those who have those pressures, I would encourage them to rest a little bit. And, you know, some of the guys are, are right at the top of the game and playing really well. So it's, you know, making sure that we kick on a little bit and uh, look at some programming that, you know, we maybe hadn't gotten to developing some shot patterns and things that we haven't been able to really get to on the road. So case by case, as always with me, Tony, you know, there's no real, uh, there's no real systematic approach. It's looking at every one of those different individuals and trying to make sure we're performing well for them. And I think that's, you, you brought up something that I think is, is a really good point And one that I believe a hundred percent is that like the guy that's only been, you know, a guy that just came off the corn ferry and is in his first year on tour is going to approach this way different and look at things way different than a guy that's been out there for 20 years. Right. And, uh, you know, and you have to handle each one of them different, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you gotta, you gotta encourage them to take a bit of, bit of a time off. And other times you gotta try and encourage them to really get some work done when they, you know, when they need to. And, you know, and that's my, you know, my great mentor, Butch Harmon. I know you and I have talked about Butch and, you know, Butch said, you know, that in our job, you're going to know when to, you got to know when to give them a tap on the back and know when to give them a kick in the backside. And, uh, you know, the, the timing on delivery of those two things is very important. So you brought up Butch, you talked about, you know, your mentor and, and you and I talked about it and, I've said before on this and other things like, I mean, you know, like I think he's the best in the world at what he does. And I've had the opportunity once to go out there and I mean, it's impressive. And what are some of the things? So you look, talk a little bit about your upbringing as a teacher, because I think the road that we take as teachers that get us to where we are now teaching tour players and teaching high level players has a huge influence and makeup of like how we approach things. So I'd love to hear a little about your upbringing and the road that brought you to where you are now. I mean, you've got some of the best players in the world, and we're going to talk about them a little bit, but would love to hear a little bit about your road to where you are and how it's shaped your approach to handling these players. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll not, I'll not uh, blow my own trumpet too much. I'll try, try and avoid doing that. But I took it up when I was 13, 12 or 13. I, I, I was always very obsessive. I played a lot of rugby, a lot of football, some martial arts and some tennis and things like that growing up, and then golf took over. I got the scratch pretty quickly. I, mean, I think I remember finishing second in the Irish boys, the under 16 type of thing when I was like 15. So I really, you know, I was I got quite good at it very fast and continued to evolve through into my early 20s. Went out to Wallace State in, in Huntsville, Alabama on a on a golf scholarship with, with Dan York there who had produced some good mm. players. And uh, sadly, I know Dan passed away, I think, this year. And... Um, but with, there were a couple of Europeans there, and, and uh, it didn't quite work out for me. I came back, turned professional through the PGA system, did my three years, played for a year full time on what used to be, or what used to be called the Mastercard Tour, is now called the Euro Pro Tour, and we had a very um, active region in the Irish region with a lot of pro arms, and you know, really in those days you could be quite lucrative if you played well in the Irish region. The pro arms scene was very good, and. I had a fairly nasty kind of, well, my back was always a little bit problematic, but about 25, 26, I really started to experience some lower back issues, and, and I, uh, I got into teaching an awful lot then, and I was fortunate to teach at a place called Blackwood Golf Center, where we had a, a very, very active driving range, par three course, uh, an 18-hole golf course, and 
You know, I remember Tony doing, you know, when, when my lesson book used to have, you know, 80 to 90 golf lessons in it every week, and albeit that they were 30 minutes, but I always, when young teachers say to me, you know, how do you, you know, how should I get into this? I say, well, you've got to teach as much as you can, and you've got to see as many different things as you can see in order to be able to kind of be qualified to get it done. And, and that, that three years, I think I'll always look back on that. You know, that was my, like, real research time where I saw, you know, I was teaching some Irish internationals, some PGA professionals, all the way to complete beginners, ladies, kids, the whole plethora. I finished up there three years. I went out to Dubai on a kind of a wing and a prayer. I thought it was a great place. I'd been there with a client, great facilities, great weather. This is about three or four years before 2008. Uh, managed to get a position at the Montgomery, which was a golf course named obviously after Colin, who uh, you know I was able to spend some time with right at the end of his incredible career, really, on the European Tour. We had a great facility there where I worked under a gentleman called Wayne Johnson, who who, who previously had worked for Butch Harmon in Las Vegas and uh, Butch had a couple of other interests in, in the Bahamas and in Portugal that Wayne helped him with. So Wayne really taught me a lot about what you know what the Harmons believed in, you know the presentation of you know the the coach, the lesson area, all of that kind of all of that good stuff that you know is kind of lost on people sometimes. You know just the way you present yourself, how you how you articulate, how you open and close, and how you stick to your guns. And um, and then Claude Harmon, Claude came along in around about the time we were at the Montgomery looking after Adam Scott, and we kind of got friendly a little bit. And when Butch was going to open his facility at Dubai Sports City at the Els Club, uh, I got a call from Claude, and he, you know, he said, would, would I like to come over with him and, and run it with him? So, you know, in uh, you know, 2001, would that have been 2010, 11? You know, we started that project, opened in 2012, and I was, you know, very heavily involved with that facility all the way through to 2018. And, you know, really went from a traditional director of instruction to somebody who was teaching a lot of European tour players. And then, you know, I was started to work with Peter Uline, who had some success in America, and I had to travel to America a lot. I was working with Charles Schwartzel, uh, Louis Tyson, Darren Clark, you know, and, and my career then became kind of American slanted. And <laughs> I was very fortunate when the guys at Sea Island asked me whatever I, would I come across and help them to, uh, you know, to become a team at their golf performance center, which is uh, a fantastic place to be. So it's, um, you know, it's, when you say it in that fairly quick little uh, stream of consciousness, it, it, uh, it all brings back a few memories, I can tell you that. So I was mentored for, uh, I worked for about eight, nine years with a great uh, teacher. He's older now, obviously, Hank Johnson. And, you know, yeah. I learned a lot of the stuff, obviously information, but you touched on that a lot of younger teachers, I don't think of us as old, but we're certainly not as young as we used to, about the presentation and how you set things up and how you open and how you close and how you treat, you know, golfers when they come in to take a lesson. And I, I'm so thankful and grateful for that information because I don't see, I mean, not being critical of younger teachers, but like, you know, I tell folks that teach under me now, like, I think it's important how you set up every day and that you give everybody the, yeah. you know, I think that stuff's important rather than just walking out there, tipping over some balls and just filming everything on your phone. I mean, I think that the whole presentation's important and I think some of that's getting lost today. Well, I, I think you're, you know, you could be right. We've, we had a, an amazing soccer manager called Sir Alex Ferguson, 
it always reminds me when you talk about the Butch thing about, you know, man management. I mean, you know, and, and man management and, and coaching, it kind of transcends, it tends to transcend the sport that you're involved with and that ability to, you know, kind of set your stall out with, you know, not only your presentation, but also the way that you articulate, the way you open the lesson, you know, how you put people at ease, again, how you maybe motivate people. You know, I, I do think that there's, you know, there, there's a lot within that kind of subset that isn't really talked about very much, I think. And I, I think that's primarily why, you know, younger instructors may not be, you know, may, may not be getting it because they go online and they look at all of the, the seminars and websites, et cetera, and, and generally speaking, the themes are about the technicalities, you know, the equipment, potentially the, the body swing link, and all of those things are fantastic, but if you can't communicate your message or you haven't made the person in front of you feel uh, like you're interested, professional, you know, well turned out, you're not going to give as good a golf lesson simply because your connection with that person isn't going to be as deep. You know, that was the biggest thing, you know, when I went and watched Butch, and obviously you've seen it 8,000 times more than me, but it was just his ability to communicate and the importance, you know, that it was placed on that. You could tell that was a primary importance in the time that he spent with each person. Yeah, you know, that's something that I've always believed to be the absolute primary. I mean, you can, you know, if you even if your knowledge is basic and your communication skills are are 99%, you'll probably do a better job than a person who's, the reverse of that, who has mm-hmm. 99% knowledge and 1% communication skills. Because, you know, if, without the communication skills, you can never get people to do what it is you would like them to do through the, you're obviously talking to them, your body language, your tone. You know, there are so many nuances of communication that I find fascinating. And I, I think Butch is the master of that. And his ability to, you know, almost be a chameleon in the way that he communicates. I mean, I remember being out, you know, with uh, with a couple of guys at the golf school, and they said that Webb Simpson came in, and Webb Simpson is, as you know, is a, a very, very fine gentleman with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with with a lot of belief and a wonderful family, and and they said Butch couldn't have been more like the, exactly the sort of person Webb needed him to be. And an hour or two later, Dustin Johnson rocked in, and this is before <laughs> Dustin was married with a family, and he's a completely different type of individual. And you can imagine the the language and the tone and everything changed pretty quickly, and. Butch became who Dustin Johnson needed him to be, and that's uh, you know that's something that I find interesting every day. And certainly, my knowledge of of NFL, of college football, basketball, and baseball has had to improve since I came to the states. Because if I start telling stories about rugby and cricket, guys at Sea Island are just going to look at me and kind of shake their heads. <laughs> it's an interesting point, and I think to be successful teaching tour players in particular or high level players, you have to figure out how to be yourself but be the type of person or the type of coach or the fulfill the needs of what the player in front of you needs and you know and I and I think that's a challenge at times that you know not being critical of people but that that's why just having one approach and one way of doing things and one thing that you think's important has its limitations and challenges with good players no doubt no doubt and it's you know and, and at the same time I think you've also got to kind of admit to yourself that, you know, you're, you're not going to fit with every single person. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you can't alter your personality entirely. And there are going to be times when, you know, you, you, it just may not click. And I think uh, that was another great thing that, you know, that any of the younger instructors listen, I would encourage them that, you know, if um, you know, Butch always said to us, you're kind of, you're hired to be fired. Uh, you, you know, hopefully you have a relationship with the person before they they bring you onto their team, and, and when you're on their team, you do the very best you can, and 
when they release you, then hopefully you've got a continued friendship stroke relationship with them. And I've always kind of approached it that way. And I think it's given me, it's given me more balance, albeit that, you know, I, I know it's hard, you know, and I've, I've had to, I've had to take those things on the chin as you have, Tony, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they feel personal and they feel difficult whenever you do, you know, you're, the player's going to move in a different direction and you, you kind of question what you've done wrong and what you could have done better. But at the same time, I think if you recognize that, you know, you're there for a period of time, just like a contractor would be in a, you know, in a, in a, in a business, and you're there to try and provide the best return the player can, and at some point that'll probably come to an end. I want to talk a little bit about one player that in particular, I know you got a lot of great players, but one is like I, when I hang out down at Frederica and watch, that I've in particular seen a huge transformation. And and if you turned on, I mean, if you turned on the leaderboard for the one day we had the players, you'd have seen him up there, but was Harris English. I mean, you've done some really, really nice work there with a guy that was struggling for a little bit, I'm sure, when he found you. And I mean, that's a really nice story because he's a really nice guy. And I always like to pull for guys that are nice guys. And uh, I mean, so kudos to you. You've done some really nice work there. Well, I appreciate that. Um, he is, he's a very, very fine young man. You know, it's, Harris has been around, you know, like we, we think of Rory now almost as a veteran and Rory's only 30 years old and Harris <laughs> and Rory pretty much came up at about, about the same time. And, you know, Harris has got a, you know, a very fruitful and long career ahead of him. You know, I, I just think that one of the big things that, that Harris needed to do was to begin to trust his instincts and, and be encouraged to, you know, to take ownership a little bit of what he was going to listen to and, you know, some people say to me, well, what, you know, was there ever a point where you feel, felt like Harris was going to like return to some form and things? And, you know, I tell them a story about going out. We were out at, uh, we were out on uh, plantation one evening and we're, you know, he's, he's an excellent player, but as you and I both know, Tony, everyone needs to get better in some aspects. And he was trying to get a little knockdown shot, which mm-hmm. we're still working on, you know, something he can take out of the air and be just a little bit less, you know, race car in the red, you know, trying to, be able to just, you know, pop it onto the green from 160 into the wind, this type of thing. And I encouraged him just to put his hands a little bit further ahead of the golf ball, and he hit a few shots, and he beautiful little flighted sort of eight irons and seven irons. And we came into the parking lot, and we were getting ready to get uh, finished up, and he looked at me, and he said, well, you know, JP, I, I don't really like the, the idea of doing that because I think it might mess with the work that I've done on my takeaway. And I said, Harris, that's fantastic. And he looked at me, you know, and he said, but I just didn't want to hurt your feelings. And I said, well, Harry, my feelings don't matter. The only thing that matters in our little relationship right now is your golf. And if you feel like that, and, and to me, that was the moment where I realized, you know what, this fella, you know, not only is he, you know, continuing to be a good human being and a nice individual, but he's beginning to have a little bit of a, a brick wall up between, you know, him and what, what, what things that he might be allowing to come in. And, you know, you, you and I both know, Tony, in this game that if, you know, if you allow all those thoughts to come in and you listen to everyone who's willing to give you a, an idea about how to swing the golf club, you'll pretty quickly lose your form and, and become like, you know, like the rest of us looking from one little swing tip to the next. And the best players in the world act with consistency. And again, consistency, a little bit like that idea of information versus communication you know, consistency basically is doing the same thing over and over again every single day until you're good at it. Even if it's not the right thing and you do it every single day, you may become good at it. Right. And what Harris has done is he's taken on board some, some simple ideas really with alignment and his first move off the golf ball. We've worked 
pretty much tirelessly on those two, albeit simplistic elements. Um, but he's almost leading the tour in greens and regulation, you know, with a decent comp set of results now going through. And, you know, he certainly feels like his game's trending in the right direction. So I couldn't be more proud and delighted for him. And I love the idea that it can be simple and have good results because I know there's there, you and I talked. I mean, there's tons of information out there, and I love you know like I love perusing through stuff on social media and watching some stuff that's pretty technical and complicated. But I mean, to me, some of the the real challenges, you know, most of my players don't want that information. They want it very simplified in a way that they can go react and do it. And that's that to me, that's kind of the art of teaching is, is taking those, taking what a player needs to do and making it, you know, in a simple way that they can adapt to it and, and go and go play golf with it. Yeah, I mean, I remember being up, you know, we talked about Butch, I remember being up at the, the top of the range and, uh, or sorry, to the to the right-hand side of the range in Las Vegas, and I was I was just there for a few days watching and learning, and, and Butch and Ricky Fowler were in a bunker, and Ricky was having some kind of problems with his bunker play, and I'm watching him hit these bunker shots, and you know, he's kind of picking the club out outside, he's getting away across the golf ball, his strike wasn't very consistent, and at this point in my career, you know, I was, I was you know, reading and learning a lot, I'd, I'd Watched Pete Cowan, whose short game stuff's fantastic. You know, James Seichman, a lot of TPI uh, sequencing things. And I'm looking at this bunker shot thinking, you know, if I was if I was me now, I'd be telling Ricky to fold his right arm more and get more loft on the club. And I'd probably encourage his release to change a little bit. And Butch just walked in the bunker. He said, Ricky, you're hitting the sand this way. And he drew an arrow to the left. He said, I want you to hit the sand this way. And he drew an arrow towards the flag. And Ricky set up and he squared off his lines a little bit and set his right arm better and put some more loft on it and swung it straight at the target and hit a beautiful bunker shot. And I thought, <laughs> you know, I've got an awful lot to learn here. He, this guy's just made his client do exactly what I would have wanted him to do, but he did it in a much simpler and better way than I would have ever done at the time. Such a great story. Those are the things that, you know, when you watch great teachers that you see. And, and I think it's cool that you're always trying to learn. And another player that obviously one of the best players in the world that you, you've worked a good bit of time with and has had a lot of success, but also is in a different place in his career, is Louis uh, Oosthuizen. And talk a little bit about your work with him and, and the stuff that y'all do. Well, you know, Louis, Louis's been a successful golfer for, for quite some time. And, and uh I think is probably one of the more talented players that I've ever seen, you know, certainly of his generation. And, you know, when we started, Louis had gotten to 39th in the world and, he, you know, he just wasn't playing very well. I don't think he had, he had much of a structure in place. And, you know, he, he had some fire, you know, he's got a young family. who I, I think he wants to, them to see him, you know, being successful, winning golf tournaments. He, you know, he won the South African Open in front of them all. And, you know, I couldn't have been more proud to, to see that. And, you know, Louis said to me, you know, one of the first couple of sessions, you know, he said, look, you can tell me what to do with the golf club. You can tell me what to do with the head, the toe, the heel, the shaft, the neck of the club. You can tell me what you want me to do with the grip, but don't tell me what to do with my body. If you tell me what to do with my body, you and I are going to have problems. And it was his good way of, again, putting that wall up, saying, listen, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to react very well if you ask me to put ground pressure on in a certain way, or if you want me to try and change my footwork or, you lower my left shoulder, you know, all of this stuff that's, again, it's, 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 it's not that it's wrong information, it's just that this particular player doesn't see the golf swing that way. You know, he, he reacts fantastically well to alignment. He understands implicitly what a good line of golf swing feels like. He's instinctive about whether the swing is on plane or off plane. 
and obviously he's got one of the best rhythms that you know that we've ever seen. So mm-hmm. my role with Louis has really been to you know to to be a performance manager for him. I, I liaise with his strength and conditioning team. I liaise with his statistical analysis guy and Mark Brody. Mark and I talk a lot. We put together reports, and I try and make sure that you know that Louis working on the appropriate things whenever you know he's getting towards tournaments that he needs to you know maybe change the distances that his irons are go you know that the the course is going to present to him and maybe change the flight with his driver a little bit but uh you know oftentimes in tournaments with Louis it's really about you know being a little bit more of a supporting act and you know he doesn't want to he doesn't want to have to have outside thoughts introduced into into what he's doing unless it's absolutely necessary so again when to say things when not to say things and making sure that if you do have something to say that you're absolutely correct or you know that's what's so important to me because people look at Louis just in the same way they looked at Ernie else and think, you know, he's just such an easygoing guy. Well, you know, the, these people are fantastic human beings, but they're not at the they're not at the top of our sport for no reason. They're hungry and their you know their desire is up there, and that the fires burn very very bright. And and when you're involved with those guys, you got to make sure that you're doing your you're doing your due diligence and doing your job as well as you can. As you talk, it I was thinking, you know, you start thinking of all the things that you do traveling on tour, and and I think one of the things that we've tried to show in this podcast about talking to coaches that are out there and players is that coaching tour players involves way more, and I think especially the ones that are really successful, way more than just helping them hit a golf ball at the target, or, or way more than just dealing with their golf swing. There's so many. You know, I don't know that jobs is is the right word, but there's so many parts of, of what you do or what I do, and there's lots of different moving parts and things that go on in helping a player play their very best. Yeah, and, you know, again, I would have to thank Butch for, you know, he used to say to me all the time, you need to anticipate their needs. So you need to know, you know, when you need to show up, when you need to not show up, when you need to tell a joke, when you need to be quiet, when you need to really get to work and, you know, what within that is a, you know, you've got to have done your work. You've got to be well prepared. You've got to have given a lot of lessons. You've got to have given a lot of lessons to to good players. And you've also have, you ought to have figured out how tour players tick. And whilst they all tick differently, you know, there are, as you and I both know, Tony, a lot of similarities with tour players that, Mm -hmm. you know, they, uh, they're an intricate bunch of people and they've, they're confident, but sometimes they're not confident. You've certainly got to, again, you've got to know what you're doing and, and speak whenever it's the right time and stay quiet when it's the right time. I think that's one of the harder things to learn. I, I think if I watched videos of myself teaching eight years ago and now I would probably find that I say less, you know, that I speak less. But I think that's one of the hard things is sometimes when you're watching a player hit a ball and they don't hit it well to refrain from talking sometimes because sometimes you don't need to say anything else. As you know, I mean, you got such a variety of players, but like sometimes they hit a bad shot and they're being quiet just because they're processing things in their mind. They don't need me to say something different, you know, but I think that's a great piece of information. It's like you have to know when the right time to shut up is. Yeah, and I think the other thing you've got to, I find more recently certainly thinking about golf shots and I, you know, when I do play golf myself, I think to myself, well, how many thoughts can we actually have here? And if there is a technical thought, generally speaking, is it disruptive or is it uh, going to help me execute the golf shot better? Oftentimes, if you introduce any technical thought 
for a period of time, it's going to be disruptive because it's going to take the player, you know, a little bit of time to process it, et cetera. You know, to your point, and the, the best golf shots are hit whenever the player is fully engaged with the shot he's hitting. That might be the entirety of the shot, or there might be a rhythm attached to it. So, to your point, you know, for those young guys maybe listening, if 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 a good player hits a poor shot, sometimes it's better to let him, you know, let him process things a little bit and maybe let him continue if you can, if you're given that time, rather than just interject and give him another technical thought because all of a sudden then he he's got two or three and that's not a good place to be. No, no, and it, you know, but like you you talked about the you know where Louis told you the things that would give you trouble if you if you did that. I think that that's where you know when you have a good relationship with a player is when they're not afraid or afraid may not be the right word, but when they tell you things, and I've had this with Lucas before where he said, hey, I told him to do something, and he said, you know, I told him to try to rotate more through the ball, and he said, so-and-so, so, I mean, everybody's told me to do that. It hadn't worked. You need to find another way to do it. And But that's yeah. great when they don't mind telling you that, you know? Yeah, absolutely true, yeah. If they, if they hold that inside, then your communication channel has just got a little bit less strong, if that makes sense. Right, exactly. In fact, we were at the players. I was trying to get him to turn his chest back more, and, and he said, well, hold on, basically, like, hold my beer and watch this. And, you know, he hit one. He said, did that look better? And I said, yeah. And he, I said, that was great. And he said, well, all I did was try to keep make my elbow feel like it stayed more tucked. And I was like, well, I would have never thought of that. But I'm glad we came up with right. it, you know. But to me, that's like the beauty of and the fun of teaching and having the relationship where you're not afraid to say, hey, I didn't, I couldn't have figured that out. I'm glad you did. To that point, I also think that the, you know, going back to the guy who's, you know, maybe a, a, an elite level college player to a, you know, first year PGA Tour player to a guy with a more established, I think what Tiger's doing now at 44 years old, I think is almost for a 44 year old, it's about perfect. He's got a, he's got a gentleman, Rob, I think he watches him hit golf balls. He'll ask him if he's doing the things that he thinks he's doing, mm-hmm. and they basically just keep it that simple. So Ti- Tiger's pretty much in charge. He knows how to play golf, and he understands that this, the feel and reel of a golf swing can be somewhat misleading for us. So when he hits a, a shot or two, he'll he'll ask for that little bit of feedback, and he's really, to some degree, he's teaching himself with somebody's assistance. And whilst you know that's really really challenging, I think as players get into the latter halves of their career, I think you want to you know, try and get away from trying to get them to do too much because they've probably done too much all their all of their lives and, you know, really make it a little bit more, you know, again, re-simplify it a little bit. And the more complicated it is, the you know, the more jerky the movement's going to get. And we can see in Tiger that he's, since he's taken ownership of it himself, everything seems to have smoothed out a little bit and gotten a little bit better. And again, he's, you know, he's using that person more as a guide now rather than a, a dictator. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that that's why it's different coaching different players at different stages in their careers. But you know, a guy that's been out there 15, 20 years, I mean, I I think that at that point, they already have a really good idea of what they know works for them and what they need to do to play well. They just need somebody to kind of hold them accountable, have a plan, keep them in the middle of the road, so forth. And, uh, you know, and, and just keep things structured. Yeah, and that can that can be frustrating and, and and require discipline as well. I mean, you know, sometimes with 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 Louis stuff, I'd love you know I'd love to delve in a little bit deeper at you know how his direction changes and for him to get a little more open and all that. But you know, as you to your point, I mean, this guy's won an Open Championship. He's won golf tournaments pretty much all over the world. You know, he's done it with 
you know, with different people helping him. So he knows how to do this. And, and your job going back to it is to be disciplined and, and be the person he needs you to be as opposed to somebody that, you know, you might like to be. And, and, and you'll be more successful as a, as a result of that, I believe. Absolutely. And I think the same goes for coaches, you know, figuring out what you do and who you are as a teacher and what makes you successful. And, you know, I've said all the time, I mean, at times when I was fired by a player and it hurt, I tried to do more of like what the guy they went to was thinking maybe I was lacking. And then I realized that, I mean, I sucked it that way too. You know, I was better to just yeah. do what I do. And I, and I, so I think that there's a lesson there for everybody that's coming up as a teacher or a player is, you know, you learn the things that you're good at and, and, and what makes you successful and, and, and find ways to be good at that. Yeah. And, you know, back to your point, you know, I look at the, some of the guys online who are doing some fabulous, you know, work from a, from a swing line point of view and, you know, very technical and, you know, rotary things and, and, and some components of the golf swing that, you know, I kind of choose not to, to delve into too deeply because I maybe haven't had success with them or maybe I don't understand them fully enough, but, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to some degree, you've got to stay in your lane and, and be true to yourself. And, you know, my own personal belief is that if I can have a guy who's, who's really confident and who's pretty much well put together, well practiced, you know, well versed in what they're doing. They've got some good options whenever things aren't going quite right and they've got some good functional mechanics. You know, that's kind of where I hang my hat. So uh, I'll continue to look at the online stuff and just marvel at some of these wonderful swings and extremely high ball speeds and um, see if I can learn little bits along the way. You're doing just fine, Justin. First of all, thanks for taking the time to sit in with me. Hopefully, as as uh, things progress back to normal, whatever that is, we'll have the opportunity to sit down and have a beer again, and and maybe tape another one of these over beer drinks, which is what I prefer. But this has been kind of what we have to do now. I appreciate you sitting in, and look forward to catching up with you over at Sea Island and on the road soon. Sounds great, Tony. You stay safe and stay well, and thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. There's one thing if you know about me, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are, first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years, and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines 
love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors. Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper.